Here's the thing though. And welcome to another episode of our podcast. Here's the thing, though. My name is Suliha, and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal and Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present, and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Hey Mitch, how's it going? How are you? Yeah, things are going well. I'm pretty busy with uh, university stuff at the moment, but things are about to finish for the year, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. How about you? Yeah, not much has been going on. I've just been working and it's been very chaotic. <laughs> just, I don't know what, okay, well, apparently I do know what it is. So our astrologer at work told me that we're in eclipse season and we're to expect chaos. And those of you who know me know I don't give a flying fuck about like star signs and astrology and I don't really believe in any of it and I'm a skeptic. But I'm like nearly convinced because everything that could go wrong, I feel, has kind of gone wrong. Nothing like super wild, but just like constant technical difficulties, the site was down, we were short-staffed, like everything that could go wrong was just going wrong. Typically, when I was alone at work as well, for some reason, it tends to happen. And like my boss injured her ankle and like a bunch of, like everything happened in like a week. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? And apparently it's eclipse season and that's why. Which like that makes a lot of sense because even like I was having these crazy issues at work and and you know technical issues and and supply issues and on the same days we were having like yeah. an equally bad day so there must be something in the air <laughs> something is happening and like my friend as well like the same day that shit was hitting the fan for me she messaged me like I've just had the worst day ever like all these freak accidents happened to her and I was just like what is going on like apparently the eclipse I don't know I don't know how the Makes eclipse sense. season works but I- I'm willing to accept that answer because I need an answer I wonder what the crossover between here's the thing the listeners and people who follow and believe in astrology Probably uh, a decent... I feel is, like the average person is what's super the Venn into... diagram? I feel like the average person is super into astrology. Like, it is an unpopular opinion of mine that I'm not into astrology. The average person is, I feel. Because right. our, like, pedestrian audience fucking loves astrology. And this is no shade to people that are really into it. I'm just not personally into it at all. I think I'm just a little bit too skeptical. But, like, maybe I'm not as skeptical as I once thought because this eclipse season is out to get me and I'm convinced it's real. But anyway... Let's get into some follow-up for this week. The first one is a really great news. Brittany is officially free. She's free. And it's so good because she just feels like herself. I mean, I know I say that as somebody with a parasocial relationship with her, I don't actually know her. But all her Instagram posts are just like stream of consciousness and her posting about really random, unrelated, but like very joyful shit pictures of cats and babies and make really random stuff it's very like what your like average 45 year old mum is posting to facebook but it's beautiful <laughs> she's reclaimed her life and herself yeah and, her image. and it feels like really authentic again not that we would ever truly know but just judging from like what we've seen on britney's socials in the past and the way it's been managed and now she's got like these long rambling captions and it's it's really cute though like it's wholesome and she's also just like out for blood which i also really respect and admire like her legal team literally said she is ready for revenge and i was like oh my god yes queen go off (laughs) this is the britney revenge era i am here for it like come for your enemies and she like publicly called out christina aguilera this week for like not saying much about the which to be fair I think it was a little unwarranted but there was like a footage of like an interview where somebody asked Christina Aguilera about the Britney Spears conservatorship and if she supports her and like stuff like that and her publicist stepped in and was like nope we're not doing this today like nope and like cut her off and she didn't really get to speak so I don't think it's her fault but Britney totally rinsed her on in, in Instagram stories and was like, you know, thank you for all the lovely people, all the other celebrities that stood up for me and like shame on those that stayed silent. Like you knew I was suffering and you didn't help me. And I feel like she's going to probably publicly roast a lot of people that she was like close to. I can feel it coming. There's a book coming, right? There has to be. There has to be. And I would read the fuck out of it. <laughs> I, I'd watch the movie as well. I mean, I'm sure there's some movies being made. 
I hope it's like with her in mind though, because the thing is, I don't want other people to like cash no. in on her trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I hope she like eventually is in a place where she's like, well, actually, you know what she said, and she said this offhandedly, so I don't think it's in the books yet, but it opens up a world of possibilities. Is she said that she wants to be on Oprah for like those big tell-all uh, Oprah interviews, you know, like the Meghan Markle yes. ones. And I would watch the shit out I'm of that. I'm all for it. I'm yes. so invested. I'm like, yes, Queen, get on Oprah. Speak your truth. We love to see it. Um, you know who would make a good Britney Spears movie? Who? I forget their name, but the the director of Hustlers. People didn't like Hustlers, though. I liked Hustlers. You liked it. We liked Hustlers. I liked it. But a lot of, I saw in hindsight, a lot of sex workers had an issue with Hustlers because right. of the way it glamorized. That makes sense. So I'm like, hmm, it would be a good movie. Would it potentially glamorize abuse? Maybe. All right, what about the director of Promising Young Woman? We didn't like that movie, but I feel but like I there, there's a vibe a good, there. Yeah, I, I think she I agree. has the, the sensibility. For and her. I think she has a good aesthetic too for that. Because I, I think Britney's story is like traumatic and fucked up, but there is like this glamorized, which we had an issue this with the glamorizing in that story. But in this one, it would be good. There you go. Yeah, I would watch a Britney movie by her. But also, yeah, I'm definitely on a weird in-between of like, I want all this content, but also I am just being a consumer, sensationalizing a pretty fucked up story and for my own entertainment. So mm. it's it's a thin line. But anyway, that's Anyways. just some lovely news to start. What's probably going to be quite a dreary podcast episode. But anyway, the final thing that I want to talk about in our follow-up is that today is our 49th episode. Ooh. Which means the next episode is our 50th episode, which is really exciting. Like, we actually are going to hit 50 episodes. It's going to happen. That's very exciting. I don't think we expected to be doing the podcast for this long when we started. Like, I think it was a bit experimental. Yeah, like 50 episodes. What's next? What's 100? next? 500? <laughs> season 50, two. 000? Next year, season two. Here's the season thing, though. Two. But I just wanted to bring that up because we're thinking of doing maybe like a Q&A or like a live or something after the 50th episode, not as the 50th episode because we've got some content that we actually really want to get yeah, out. Yeah, we're still figuring it out. But just feel free to email or DM me or Mitch interesting questions that you'd like us to answer, not in like a podcast form necessarily, like not like a, you know, explain the abolishment of prisons to me, but like just random questions that you probably wouldn't ordinarily get the chance to ask us. Please send through and we'll do maybe a cute Q&A or something later to celebrate hitting 50 episodes. Yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated. We'll yes. figure it out. We haven't fully decided what we're doing yet, but we're doing something because it'll be fun. But anyway, exciting. Hit us up and let's get into today's episode. So today we are going to do like one of those more newsier episodes because there's actually been a lot that's been happening in the news sphere lately. And I think a lot of it is quite interrelated and kind of flows on the same themes. So themes on policing, white supremacy and racism, which obviously are all very interconnected topics. And namely what I want to talk about today is the Kyle Rittenhouse acquittal, which I think is currently making worldwide headlines. And, you know, obviously there's protests happening in the US because of it. We will explain what that is if you're not across it. And then I want to talk about that relationship with like policing in Australia. And particularly we're going to talk about New South Wales police because we live in New South Wales and New South Wales Police has been in the headlines for some pretty fucked up things in the last couple of weeks, some pretty bad press. And related to that, we're then going to talk about the William Tyrell case, which is of a child that disappeared seven years ago. Hello, everyone. It is editor Mitch from the future just interrupting this broadcast to note that we continually mispronounce William Tyrell's name as Tyrell throughout the episode. So we're really sorry about that. We hope it's not too frustrating to listen to us consistently mispronounce the name in the latter half of this episode. I hope it's not too frustrating and we'll be sure to stay on top of our pronunciations in the future. But again, sorry about that. Uh, Now back to the regularly scheduled programming. Not necessarily about him or the disappearance, but just about the police operations involving that disappearance. So brace yourself. It's going to be a pretty intense one today, but it's going to be good. We have a lot to say. So let's get into it. In August 2020, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was 17 at the time and had previously expressed support for right-wing causes like Blue Lives Matter, (laughs) decided to drive 30 minutes from his home in the state of Illinois out to Kenosha during a night of Black Lives Matter protests. Before going out to the protest, he got his friend to buy him an AR-15 style assault rifle because he was too young to legally buy a gun, which he took to the protest with him to, quote, protect himself. 
At the Black Lives Matter rally, Rittenhouse shot three people, killing two of them and seriously maiming the third. There is footage of the first shot, and I'm not sure if there's footage of the second. I think there might be, because they all happened in pretty quick succession. Essentially, he shoots one man who he claimed ran up to him and tried to yank his gun off him. But prosecutors said in the court case that the man had four rounds in his back and he fell forward from the shooting. So he obviously was running away from Rittenhouse. Then two other Black Lives Matter protesters saw what had happened and saw Kyle Rittenhouse try and succeed at killing somebody because that man died. And they tried to get the gun off him. They thought he was an active shooter, quote unquote, and they were trying to prevent a mass shooting at the protest. So they pursued him and tried to take the assault rifle off him. He claims that in self-defense of being, quote unquote, attacked, he had to shoot them. He shot both, killing two and seriously injuring the other. He then ran to the cops at the rally, ran towards them for support and help, which I think tells us a lot about who Carbon House is, who tell him to go home despite the fact that he has broken curfew by being there. He's illegally at this protest and he's just killed two people. But he ran to the cops for safety, which is very interesting to me. Uh, Rittenhouse now, so this trial has been going on for a while and it's been littered with controversy and anger because the judge involved in this trial has like very clearly been racist. So the judge filed that the prosecutors were not allowed to refer to the two shooting victims as victims. They weren't allowed to in court call them victims because they were looters and arsonists, which already denies them the humanity of people that deserve justice. And it is interesting to note that the two people that died were white. And I think that's going to come up later. And I think it's important. But anyway, so this court case has been ongoing. Prosecutors have been trying and failing to pin Kyron House on literally anything because the judge constantly steps in to protect him is supporting the self-defense thing, isn't letting them call the victims victims. Prosecutors tried to bring up images and footage of Carl Rittenhouse taking pictures with Proud Boys and doing the white power symbol. The judge threw all of that out in court and threatened a mistrial. It was fucked. It was just fucked. Like, I don't really know, in other words, how to put it. I'll put a link in the source. ABC did a really detailed, really great rundown of, like, start to finish of the Carl Rittenhouse situation, all the evidence that was brought up, all the evidence that was rejected. And I think it's really a really important read. So I'll put it in the sources and you can get your details from there. But the main part of the story is that Rittenhouse was cleared of all five counts against him, including first-degree intentional homicide, first-degree reckless homicide, attempted first-degree intentional homicide, and two counts of first-degree recklessly endangering safety. Interestingly, him having a gun was also not part of like the charges either, even though he illegally acquired one. Yeah, that was um, at first one of the charges, but then before the trial, the, the judge dropped those charges. Which is very interesting. It's, oh my God, it's like it's his fucking son or something, isn't it? Like the way he is, the judge has been going out of his way to protect Rittenhouse is bizarre. Also, apparently the judge's phone rang and it was like, God bless America or whatever that song is that Donald Trump enters in. <laughs> like it's the Donald Trump fucking anthem. That was the judge's ringtone. So we know what we need to know by that. But obviously, Rittenhouse being acquitted of all charges is massive fucking news because it has several messages that it is telling to the audience or to us in the world and particularly to black Americans. The first one is that white violence is always justified and that white people are always, always the ones that are victims in this scenario. Because in the Carl Rittenhouse trial, like, he is clearly the aggressor. There were only two fatalities at that protest. Only two people died. And it was the two people that he shot. Nobody else died at this protest. Nobody else experienced violence like that. The only two deaths were the ones that he caused because it wasn't a protest of that nature. Like, yeah, there was probably some looting as it was fucking deserved, to be honest. This was during like the mass Black Lives Matter protests post-George Floyd. Like this was when the race riots were happening. Like obviously there was going to be some destruction of property. And obviously white people see destruction of property as like a worse sin than like killing black people. Well, that's what, from their perspective, liberty is centered on is on certain property relations. And it also just goes to show that property is violent in and of itself because preserving it is done with guns and with murder, etc. Mm. That's like, that's American capitalism, right? It's yeah. the fact that goods and products 
and land are always of more value than human lives and that you are welcome to sacrifice any human lives necessary in order to preserve your products or land. But interestingly, only when you're white, because do you think indigenous people in America are allowed to like shoot up white people that come onto their land illegally? Illegally, you know what I mean? Like, do you think that like we can shoot up colonizers? Like, no, we can't. That's wrong. But colonizers can shoot you. That's okay. Yeah, and also defending property that isn't even yours. It's just like defending the idea of property. Yes. Okay, so that's something that I find really interesting about this is that Carl Rittenhouse, I mean, look, he wasn't even really there to protect property. I think we can all assume why he was, why he drove after obviously having relations with Blue Lives Matter and white power symbols. He drove out 30 minutes to attend a Black Lives Matter protest that he had no business being in. Like, we know why he was there. I With think, a fucking assault rifle. I think the term uh, chaos tourist is pretty apt. Yeah, that's yeah. what they said in the trial, I believe. Yes. Yeah, like, he was looking for a fight. Like, he saw some chaos happening. And you know what? Like, all these fucking young white guys, so emboldened, especially in America, to be, like, heroes in this, like, weird warped story of this. Like, it's a game of COD or something where you show up and there's the enemy and you just shoot them all up and then you're a hero. And like, that's definitely, I mean, I don't think he was as idealistic or naive as that. I think he fucking knew what he was doing. But like, that's the story. That's like the narrative in his head. But I find it so interesting that first and foremost, he says like to journalists, I'm here to protect property. It's not even your property. You don't even know whose property you're protecting. That could be literally anyone's. The building you're standing in front of could be owned by a Black Lives Matter protester who is protesting. Like, whose property are you protecting? What are you protecting? You're protecting the state values. You're protecting white supremacy. That's what you're doing here. It actually, like, in a way has nothing to do with property and yet has everything to do with property because the idea of property is based on white supremacist values. Like, we know that in Australia even, like, this translates so well over here because, like, when colonizers invaded Australia, like, the reason they felt they could do that aside from white supremacy just emboldening them is that because they didn't understand First Nations ideas around living or property, which they didn't have because they don't fucking own the earth and they had an understanding of, like, mutual obligation to the planet... But because all these white people came in and were like property and this idea of property and who owns property and what fences are and like boundaries and property are like they fucking based an entire invasion on those politics. That's true. But what I think is also particular about the Rittenhouse case is that it's not that he is sort of in love, I guess maybe is the word to use with the idea of property, but. I think he's in love with the rights that property gives him. It's not about the property yes, itself, yes. but it's about, you know, getting a hard on for the fact that maybe he could kill someone in, yeah. in this idyllic dream of protecting someone's property. And clearly he can. Him being acquitted of all charges shows that you can kill someone. You can kill people for property. That like killing people is considered fine if you're doing it for property, but also only if you're white. Because a black person shooting a white kid over property would never fly. I mean, black people are getting shot for things they didn't even do. Imagine if they actually did something, like how that would go down. Like it's so obviously the we don't need to explain the racial double standards because I think they're pretty obvious to everybody. But I really liked this tweet that I wanted to mention, which I will link as well, that said, when a cop murdered Philando Castile, the right never mentioned Castile's gun rights or right to self-defense, even as his killer was acquitted. But now with Rittenhouse's acquittal, the right praises guns and self-defense. And I find that really interesting because when you have black people or just any people of color that are shot dead by police and they have a gun on them, it's used to justify their murder. And it's used to justify like that they are a threat. But at the same time, these people will also talk about how they need to have guns on them at all time to protect themselves. And it's like, okay, so who gets to protect themselves with guns? Because if this argument stood up and these fucking gun law and property arguments stood up, then any black person is justified to have a gun on them at all times for self-defense because cops are constantly trying to kill them and people are constantly trying to kill them. So it makes sense. And if anything, by this logic, all black people in America should be entitled to carrying a gun in public at all times because they are constantly under threat and they are constantly in need of self-defense. But that doesn't translate. In fact, that actually makes them less worthy of being defended by us. They are less worthy of our sympathy. They are less worthy of our protection because they're now aggressors. And I guess that brings up a conversation, who the fuck is an aggressor? Because why is it that when a white person is carrying a gun, he kind of 
fucking assault rifle. It's massive. Have you seen that thing? Yeah, those things are designed to kill. There's no other. Yeah, purpose. it's they're not self defense weapons. Not that many guns are, but like that is literally like a weapon of war. <laughs> like you are trying to get de- you are trying to kill as many people as possible with something like that. Yeah, it's like who's the aggressor here? The person who's literally driven out of their town to come intimidate some protesters with an assault rifle or people that are like fighting for their rights. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting to talk about because there was a quote from his prosecutors about that. Yeah, no, I thought it was really interesting because like the prosecutor himself said, quote, you lose the right to self-defense when you're the one who brought the gun, when you are the one creating the danger, when you're the one provoking other people, end quote. Yeah. Like, you can't show up to a protest, shoot someone dead, then somebody else tries to prevent you from shooting more people dead, and then you say, I reacted in self-defense. Defense of what? Justice? Like, what were you defending yourself against? Being accountable for your actions? You're defending yourself against somebody trying to stop you from being a murderer? Like, what does that mean? Like, the ter- what does the term self-defense even mean in this context? Like this and then the acquittal, it just tells us so much about race politics and about white supremacy and about like the justice system. Because I think for people that are outraged about this, there seem to be like two mindsets. The first one is like this really angry, like this is so fucked up. This is injustice. We need a retrial. We need to sue. We need to do all these other legal things. I'm so angry. How could this happen? Like, how could this happen? The justice system is broken. And then there's other side equally outraged but they're like guys this is how the justice system is designed it's not broken it's working functionally it's functionally like this it is designed to protect white violence especially white men and it is designed to subjugate particularly black people but like all marginalized communities like it's this is how it it was written by fucking white colonizers like it's meant to function this way and there's a reason that all the people in power in the justice system that this judge there's a reason that he can clearly be a white supremacist and like do these things without consequence it's working as designed it's actually the system isn't broken it was built like this and that's why we need to tear it down like this is the frustration is yeah it's fucking disheartening and really upsetting and angering to read this and be like how the fuck is this guy getting away with like killing like it's not even like he didn't admit to killing them he killed them but it was self-defense and he like still got away you would think there would still be some like manslaughter nothing right how does that happen and it's just like yeah this this will keep happening this is going to keep happening forever and ever and ever until we tear it down that's just the truth of the matter because this is how it's designed and we've seen that again and again and again how many black lives matter protests have there been in america with george floyd and with all the other countless black people that have been killed by not just police but by vigilantes like this one who like thinks he's a cop He's fucking buddies with the cop. He killed somebody and then ran to the police for help because he knew that despite being a murderer, the police would be helpful and kind to him and not to the people that he had killed. Like he even in that moment subconsciously understood that the justice system is designed to protect him no matter if he is the aggressor or not, because under the justice system, he never will be. He never will be. This is white supremacy, but not just because of the way that Rittenhouse was treated, but even him being there, the practice he's engaging in. The property law. Yeah, this patriotism, the property law. Like these are all bound up in white supremacy. So we shouldn't just think of it uh, like what would happen if this was a black man. But what about his entire existence, his entire activity? Like he doesn't exist in a vacuum. He doesn't exist in a vacuum. There are so many factors Especially like this is obviously localized to America, but I do think a lot of it translates elsewhere. But localized to America, like if property laws were different, he wouldn't have been there. And that seems benign. Like property laws don't seem related to this issue, but they do because every single foundation of this system, of this society has been built in a way to embolden this boy to do what he's doing. And like we need to be aware of that because this is when this is why we start talking about radical politics. This is why we start talking about things like revolution because this is not going to change from changing like one law to make sure that people shoot who shoot other people will go to jail. Like it's not an easy fix like that. It's not like a single law that's the problem. It's the whole fucking thing. It's the whole fucking thing. And oh, there was this tweet that I saw, and it said, 
Carl Rittenhouse acted like any colonizer. He traveled with a dangerous weapon to a community he didn't live in and then claimed self-defense when they reacted to the threat that he posed. Which exactly, and this is what we're saying, like, and he could do that because he's grown up his whole life being a white privileged guy in America where they are taught the colonizer narrative and they're taught that they came to this violent land and they subjugated it for the greater good and it's what we teach here in Australian schools. Like, it's like even Scott Morris and has said things akin to like you know coming here and like yeah it was tough but you know look at where we are now everything is so good now we've improved society so much and it's just like they literally like taught this like from a young age it's injected into them that this is the way the world works and so it makes sense that he acted like a colonizer and felt like he could do those things he was literally conditioned to think that because that is we live in a society that thinks that's acceptable and not only thinks that it's acceptable, but actively teaches us that that is the correct behavior and that it's fine. Exactly. It's not just the white supremacy of the court, like not just having a more equitable uh, judicial system would solve this issue because like, it's all bound up with white supremacy and no single change and no even single institutional reform will present us with any solutions. Yeah. Like you could replace every single judge with a black judge and it wouldn't stop these things from happening. Because it's not just the system, it's all the intertwining issues. But I think like the main message that this court situation tells us is that white violence will always be justified because we live in a white supremacist society. Like white people doing these things will always be justified. And that's what this court says. It was like, oh, like, yeah, you came in here and tried to kill people and then they tried to stop killing people. So you killed them. That's fine, though. That's self-defense. Because at the end of the day, you will always be practicing self-defense when you kill a like anybody that is aligned with Black Lives Matter, for example. And like interestingly, these weren't black people that he shot. They were white people. So I think it's also another interesting conversation on the way that like white privilege is in some ways conditional. Like the moment you align yourself with blackness, you lose your white privilege. Those people he shot up were white. You would think, and we assume because we talk about white privilege in such black and white terms, that like they would get justice. But it's like, no, any, this is ideological. And I think maybe it's, we won't get into this conversation now because it's going to be like another long one. But I think there is an interesting conversation on like white privilege or any privileges and the way that they're not as fixed as we think they are. Because those people, their white privilege isn't here to get them justice now. And I think that's interesting. I think you're right. I think that's something to think about, Yeah, which I haven't really, but that's a good point. Yeah, it is. Like, we see it a lot with, like, even before in that Charlottesville Black Lives Matter rally when somebody drove, the, I think it was a car or a van in, and it killed a white woman. And she didn't get her justice either because the moment she aligned herself with Black Lives Matter, all these right-wing white people stopped seeing her as a white person. She lost her privileges. And you know what? Actually, I'm pretty sure Ruby Hamad talks about this in her writing a little bit about like how white women, uh, their femininity is their biggest weapon. But the moment they align themselves with things that don't align with white men, they lose that power. So white women that then accuse white men of rape, it doesn't get the same effect as accusing a black man as rape because they suddenly lose their white privileges when they go against their own group. So Ruby Hamad has some good writing on it, but it is something to think about, I think, because I think with identity politics, we can be really, um, it's, it's such a strong binary between like either you white, you have white privilege or you don't. And if you're white, you immediately have more power. And like in a lot of cases, yes, but I think this court case and the deaths of these two white people that were supporting Black Lives Matter protesters and how they didn't get their justice should prompt you to question that a bit more and to maybe have some more critical discussions on that. For the second story that we're going to talk about today, we're going to discuss a bunch of fucked up things that New South Wales Police has done. And I guess their relationship to just policing as a whole being incredibly racist, which obviously is quite relevant to the Carbon House story. On November 9, New South Wales Police shot dead Gamoray man Stanley Russell in his own home in Seven Hills, one day after another First Nations man died in custody in Cessnock Prison. And it's worth noting that Russell's brother was also shot by police in the 90s, so the family have just lost now both their sons to police violence. The family of Russell were actually still living in that home after he was killed in it, and according to David Shoebridge, like, they had to re-enter that home and live in it while it was still, like, covered in blood and bullet holes, effectively re-traumatizing a family that is obviously pretty fucking traumatized as it is. Later that week, footage emerged of 12 police officers arresting a black man in Bondi. The footage is pretty disturbing. It was sent to pedestrian TV by bystanders in Bondi that were like concerned for the man's safety, given the fact that he is black and our police are racist. 
And now, earlier this week, Vice reported that two Asian women, a mother and her daughter from southwest Sydney, had their home raided, were arrested and then thrown into jail, all because police wrongly identified the tea they were selling, which was like a ginger tea, as amphetamines. So the police, well, I think it was actually the Border Force, did a test on the tea, which essentially how it worked is like it gives you a list of things the tea could potentially have in it. And the first couple of things were like sugar, sucrose, blah, blah, blah. And then the fourth thing on the list was amphetamine. This is not like a super accurate like test. It just gives you a list of things that this could possibly include. Given that detail, which is not reliable, the police then raided their home, arrested them and threw them into jail. And then after jailing them, the police continued to see if the tea was actually a drug and they were like running tests knowing that currently we don't classify this as a drug so they essentially arrested these women before they proved them guilty and they were jailed like it wasn't even like they were charged or anything like nothing they just fucking threw them in jail because maybe the tea has amphetamines in it so they locked up the women with no proof they had committed a crime and then when they discovered the test was flawed they didn't actually immediately alert the defendants. They didn't immediately alert, alert the two women. So the women remained in jail while the police then continued to test and test, which obviously the tests were coming back as, no, this is not a drug. And then because those tests came back as negative, then they did their own separate test to try and find out again if there are any drugs in this tea. When cross-examining one of the police officers who was involved in this, the family's barrister, Steve Boland, asked the police officer why she didn't disclose that the, like, the new information of the tea not being drugs to the detainees sooner, to which she replied, because the drugs were still waiting to be completely tested. And he was like, so they're just going to sit in jail? Like, you are going to continue testing the drugs and they're just going to sit in jail until you prove that they're not guilty? Like, that's not how this fucking works. Apparently, he was met with silence, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, and then said, I'll assume that question is not going to be answered. Obviously, now this mother-daughter duo who spent four months in prison for something they didn't do are suing the police, but they're only suing for costs, which, I mean, I hope they get fucking a lot more than that. But I think that opens up another conversation of just like how fucking out of control police powers are and white supremacy is. Because the police are essentially like state-sanctioned thugs. They just break into people's houses, arrest them with no proof that they've actually done anything. And then when they like are wrong, they don't even immediately rectify the issue. These women were arrested in January and they were released in like May. That is absurd. And it just goes to show how like they have so much power and like no no consequences. In reading about the story and kind of writing about other things New South Wales police had done, I came across like a bunch of information that the Guardian reported last year on police settlements. Because currently, a man previously suspected of being involved in the William Tyrell case, which we'll talk about more in the next section, has just sued police for wrongly accusing him. He's one of like hundreds of persons of interest in this case over the last seven years. Like there are many people that were wrongly accused and then eventually cleared in this investigation. So he sued the police earlier this week, uh, was awarded half a million dollars, and then including the legal costs actually was paid over a million dollars by New South Wales police in legal settlements for wronging him. And this is one of like so many legal settlements that New South Wales police pay. So according to The Guardian, in the four financial years in the lead up to 2020, the police paid over $100 million in legal settlements for things like officer misconduct, wrongful arrests, illegal strip searches, like general behavior that is clearly abuse of power. They just like pay off people in settlements. But a lot of these settlements include clauses that don't allow the victim to talk about the misconduct or to ever be identified or to have the story leaked anywhere, which is essentially hush money, as the Guardian calls it. Like it's hush money because not only do they just pay off people with taxpayer money, I should say, this is taxpayer money to hush them complaining about officer misconduct they then disempower them from ever actually going public with the story as well, which would give public accountability, right? Because like currently the police are just doing whatever the fuck they want and there's no consequences. Well, yeah, it's just such a ridiculous system, right? Like I'm I'm glad that at least some people can, uh, after being uh, wrongfully treated by the police, I guess get some justice in these settlements. But still, like what a wasteful, farcical system where it's arrest first, 
ask questions later. And then if you're lucky, maybe you'll get a settlement. But that sort of uh, suppresses any accountability, really. Cause, and, and it's just so wasteful because it's so much money goes into paying off these fucking settlements. There should be zero reason. And it shouldn't even happen a few times. And yet it happens so fucking much. Hundreds of millions of dollars in the last four years. And what infuriates me the most is like, that's my fucking taxpayer dollars. That's all of our taxpayer dollars. And it's just like, we're just paying for the police to fuck up, <laughs> like, essentially. I mean, their wages are also from taxpayers, aren't they? And it's just like, that fucking irks me so much with, like, in general, just, I mean, democracy is such a farce because all of us fund the white supremacist capitalist machine and none of us have a say in it. But, like, yeah, with these settlements and these stories and how many people even get to, like, have a settlement? How many people are even in the circumstances in which they have the power or the money to take the police to court? Because that shit costs money. Like, right now, the two women that are currently suing police over being jailed over tea, like, they're suing for costs. They're not even suing for, like, a profit. They're not even suing for, like, a proper settlement. They're just suing for costs. And I think that it's, like, such a fucking tragic state that we're in right now where they can't even, like, properly get any accountability or even a proper, like, settlement for something that is clearly fucked up and, like, shouldn't happen to them. And it's obviously, I also want to say racially motivated to me. Like, that seems racially motivated because anyone who's watched any fucking Border Patrol episodes knows that this is racist. Like, Border Patrol is so racist. I can't even watch that fucking TV show because they literally just hound Asian people and, like, make them out to be, like, these, like, money-hungry scammers bringing weird food into Australia that's diseased and poisoned. Like, it so obviously relies on anti-Asian sentiment and stereotypes to even have a show to begin with. Like, why the fuck does... Border Patrol exists as a show is absurd enough. And that, that just tells us a lot about the police powers, but also just how emboldened they are. Like also how they really are out here just doing whatever the fuck they want. And there are no consequences because these are not consequences. Payoffs are not consequences. Consequences would be fucking de-establishing police, defunding them, destroying them as like an institution. That would be consequences for the abuse that they have put like everyday people and particularly marginalized people through. And I know it's so frustrating time and time and time again to just constantly hear stories of like police misconduct, abuse, police brutality, the way that these people are the fucking state thugs, right? And do what the hell they want. And it's just talking to a coworker of mine. And he was like, I just find it exhausting to write about this because I just keep writing about it. I keep reporting on it and nothing fucking happens. Nothing fucking happens. And like, yeah, it won't because it's not going to be the government and state institutions that hold police accountable. Like if you listen to our ACAP episode, like police exist in the state's interest. They are protecting the state's interest, not yours. And the state is not going to defund a group of people that act as their like bodyguards and as their like brute force, right? Like, Changing the police system or abolishing it is going to come from civilian power. Like it is going to come from mass protests and radical thinking and radical ideas. And this does need to be abolished because there is far more injustice than justice that has ever come from police and particularly New South Wales police who are known for being like quite brutal as well. And I just really want to remind everybody that like this is where you have to be extra critical. Like don't be calling the cops on like random people at protests don't be calling the cops on your loud neighbors like don't be validating this group of people that exist completely against your class interests okay like the police are not your friends we're seeing that again and again and like don't forget it and also don't forget your rage like that needs to be channeled into change that needs to be channeled into advocating and into calling this shit out again publicly all the time Kind of in relation, actually, to New South Wales Police and pretty much directly the same story, but we're separating it because it's a different issue, is the recent William Tyrell investigation that's been reopened. So in case you don't know who William Tyrell is, in 2014, he disappeared from his foster grandmother's front yard when he was three years old. He was wearing a little Spider-Man suit. He went missing. And, you know, it was a story that kind of caught the attention of the nation, very similar to Cleo Smith. Like, everybody was frantically searching for him. It was obviously a really heart-wrenching scenario that this, like, tiny baby pretty much has gone missing. And he was never found. And nobody was ever charged with, like, what happened to him. Like, it's still a mystery. It's a cold case. Seven years now it's been since the William Tyrell situation. The last time the police relaunched a massive investigation was in 2018, four years after he went missing. Again, nothing came of it. And now... In 2021, 
the police have reopened this investigation seven years after William Tyrell went missing on quote unquote new evidence, which actually hasn't been disclosed or like proven to actually be real. So this new investigation was announced, I think five or six days after the man was shot dead in Seven Hills and there was a lot of anti-police sentiment in the media. And then quite suddenly the police announced that they are going to solve this William Tyrell case once and for all. And they aren't going to stop this investigation until they have done everything in their power to solve this story. Speaking in Canberra, New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller said that the search for William Tyrell's remains would continue for weeks and weeks, quote, until investigators believe the job is done. He said 30 special officers are currently on scene and he's pretty hopeful that like authorities are going to bring the seven-year case to a close. He said, quote, We have taken 15 tonnes of soil and other pieces of evidence or potential evidence back for forensic investigation. It's particularly challenging weather conditions at the moment, but we will continue until investigators believe that the job is done. Which to me just like, and I know people are going to think this is super cynical and like maybe it is, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm convinced this is partially a PR ploy because like this apparently reignited because of new evidence, but they have not disclosed what that evidence is. It's been like a week now since they reopened the case and there's no further information. They aren't any closer to solving it. Like the quote unquote evidence that they are finding in like soil is like scraps of fabric, but it's been seven years. Like that could be from anywhere and from anyone who's potentially been around that area. It could be from before William Tyrell. Like we don't know if this is actually like huge evidence and I don't think it is. Yeah, no, I can completely sympathize with the desire for closure i mean what a awful sad tragic story but i think you're right to point out that the timing is very peculiar very convenient after the cleo smith case i think in some ways at least from what we've seen that almost ignited maybe a faith in the police a lot of people applauding the work it was great you know that they found her and in some ways it's still ongoing but you know some closure and just for not just the family but for australia i feel like as a whole that was really you know everyone was talking about it then after with the the death at the hands of police it seems convenient that this could be like a, a a way to shape the image for, for, for the better. And it's almost like they just want a repeat of that Cleo Smith situation. Yes. Okay. That's completely what I thought. And initially I was like, maybe I'm too cynical, but then I was talking too much about it. And I feel like you, you, I feel validated now. Yes. Because like, yeah. So Cleo Smith was found and even people who are like usually really anti-police were praising the cops. Like it was a beautiful moment. I mean, I cried when I saw the police vision of them like finding her. I fully cried because it was just an emotional moment. And it's just like, incredible that they found her like it was against all odds she was most likely dead right just like statistically and so it was really exciting to find her and I think there was this huge national joy and that joy was largely directed at the cops who found her even though I'm pretty sure they received a police tip-off and that's how they found her but anyway like it was they were the heroes of this story and despite the fact that this happened in WA where there is like significant police brutality against indigenous people everybody forgot that everybody forgot all the bad stuff the police has done and they were like you fucking heroes you brought her home like incredible and you know what like aside from the obvious I think backlashes has brought where a lot of First Nations people are like what about indigenous kids that go missing indigenous kids are the most likely group of children to go missing I think they make up like 20% of children's missing cases and nobody is putting in this effort to find them and nobody fucking gives a fuck about them. Like I was reading, um, I'll link it below. There's an SBS article interviewing a First Nations mother who was discussing the anger and the rage and how re-traumatized she was by the Cleo Smith case because it just hurt her even more to realize how much wasn't done for her child that went missing. And her child was like killed by her ex-partner. And like for the clear case, they like checked everybody's phone data and like phone locations and stuff. And she was like, if they had done that with me, they would have found my daughter because she was with her dad. You know what I mean? And it's just, yeah, not, not to fucking support extra police data mining but just the conversations and the double standards and the lengths that police will go to to protect a white child that they would never do for anybody else and particularly for indigenous children who are actively like killed by police right and that's like already a fucked up thing but then on top of it with the new south wales police and what a bad time it's been for them pr wise in the last couple of weeks it's incredibly convenient for the william tyrell case to come up especially because there's no proof of extra what evidence 
reignited this investigation. They won't disclose it. The Guardian's like trying to find out and they're just not disclosing it. And I just refuse to believe that it's real, especially because I obviously work in the media and I get a lot of press emails and I get like press emails from police all the time. Like they send us, like they have an automated list that they send to journalists of all their statements typically. And they usually do this to control the narrative of a story that breaks. So with the Seven Hills shooting, like I got an email with the police statement because they want to get to you with their story first so that they have a say on how it's reported. With this William Tyrell stuff, even though no information, no new information has been gleaned, like we don't know any actual real proper updates i have like at least three or four emails of police vision and then it's it's like these fucking media packages of all these photos of cops like rifling through soil and it's just like you haven't even found anything and you're sending me photos of this for what that's really interesting you want me to write about good stories of you fighting for him because that's not something that you'd normally get that's not what the i only get vision in like really exceptional circumstances and you typically have to ask for it as well like at least in my experience um, I mean, I've only been working in the media for a short amount of time, but typically with New South Wales police, like I'll get a written statement, um, but I rarely get images. And if I do mm. get an image, it's like they're looking for somebody or like this guy just murdered someone and he's on the loose and here's the image of him. Or we've just charged this guy as guilty for this really huge crime. He's a photo of him. I rarely get images of police. And to get them three in a row, one every fucking day. And it's like a folder of like pretty, to be honest, bad photos of cops just like rifling through soil. It's super weird because there was no update. There was no reason for me to have this. It's not like you haven't found anything. There's no story. It hasn't come attached with a statement being like, we found this. It's literally just look how much work we're doing. We just moved 15 tons of soil to a lab, even though I don't know what the fuck the point of that is. Like it's been seven years. It's gonna, there's not going to be a lot of information you glean from moving and displacing 15 tons of soil, but it's just like, look at us doing work. Yeah. Well, I just find that so fascinating because again, it relates to like our journalism episode, uh, but then also our analysis of Ovira, which is like the use of PR to construct this positive Narrative. Uh, narrative and then the police using this like i think it's all because yeah, police media is like a thing that exists and yeah. we like i liaise with police media a lot when i want to know like i remember before there was reports of carjackings in newtown in my first few weeks at pedestrian and i was put onto that story and so i called police media and i was like yo like that's who we talk to when we need information about what's happening legally so i'll call them and be like hello we're seeing reports online of carjackings in Newtown. Is this true? If you've got any of this in the system, like, can you provide a statement confirming or denying whether there have been reports of this? And then, like, they will very carefully construct the narrative. And you know how I know they do that? It's because when I call them, they get really flustered and they never answer me. And they'll always be like, can you please actually email this question to us? They never answer you on the phone because they have to sit there and construct a narrative. They have to stay in control of the police reputation. Like with the fucking carjacking one, it was just a yes or no question. And it had actually nothing to do with police because it was like more of a women were worried about getting carjacked. Like it didn't even have anything to do with police and police reputation, but they need to control the narrative. I mean, it's just so interesting. I mean, I hope that in more information about Tyrell does come out and I hope, you know, if they are doing this investigation, that they actually some glean closure, something. Yeah. yeah, will actually, you know, unfold. But it, it does seem interesting, like the construction of a narrative where they can play the hero again. Yeah, it definitely feels like they saw the success of the Clear Smith story, not just in terms of like success that they found her and that it was a beautiful end to a rather traumatic story, but also like the public perception of police shifted. People forgot about the negative stuff. And I just feel like it's very convenient that after like multiple First Nations people have either like died in police custody, been murdered by police. It just seems like very suspicious timing to reignite a story of a missing white kid from seven years ago with no real evidence that anything has changed or that there is anything new. None of that. Look, like maybe we're being conspiratorial. Let us know what you think. Are we just like getting our tinfoil hats on? But the thing that really convince me that there is you know a narrative being built is the pr uh it's is that they're using the same techniques as we've discussed so many times on this podcast even use. recently that brands use that they're very intently trying to construct a narrative where they can be heroes again and that combined with the you know the relative disinterest in the missing children uh, of indigenous children as well as the the timing after the death at the, the hands of police and Cleo Smith. Like, There's a just, lot going on. Yeah. There's like, just a lot going on here. The red here. tape, the, the strings are being put together on my little... <laughs> Your little conspiracy board. My little board. Yeah, but look, yeah. I mean, I'm open to criticism that I'm being a little cynical, but I like also kind of 
think that sometimes we should be cynical, especially with the police. Like, we just don't trust them. And I think that's fair. Like, just even discussing earlier, like, the settlements and stuff. Like, there is shit going on that we don't really know about half the time. There is so much, like, lack of transparency. So when they are suddenly transparent and sending you all these images and giving you all this information, it's like, yeah, I think twice. Because <laughs> they typically, in my experience, they're very, they resist a lot when it comes to questions and clarity from me as like a journalist. So when I suddenly get information dumped on me, I'm like, hmm, why are you sending me this? Like, what is your narrative? What is your purpose here? But yes, feel free to send your take. Feel free to be like, yeah, a little bit cynical, not sure. But I feel like I'm, I'm low-key ready to die on this hill. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for listening to this episode, to our podcast. I do have a correction to announce at the end, at the outro of last week's episode, I said that that episode may be, may have been the longest episode of Here's the Thing, the podcast. It was not. They never are. They never are. <laughs> a lot got cut out. A lot got cleaned up. So, I think the longest is still maybe... I think we had an hour 20 or something. I think once. an hour 20. It was not an hour 20. But this one definitely won't be the longest. So, it's nothing This one's nothing a very normal length. Here. I think now's a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode which is you guys, our lovely, lovely listeners. Specifically, we'd like to thank Sarah Wallace, Kieran, Pia, Johnny, Sarah Calcano, Liz, and Katie. So thank you so, so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting or thought-provoking or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Sliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also do one-off donations at our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Of course, we will pop all our link trees and everything in the bio. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio as well, so you can check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you liked today's episode and DM me if you want to talk about my New South Wales police conspiracy. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film, books and music. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can join our Facebook group. Here's the thing, though. Facebook group? Is that what it's called? Podcast group? Got uh, it. Yeah. Oh How my. have I forgotten? Here's the thing, though. Podcast group. I my think. bad. My bad. We'll link it. So don't worry. You won't have to search it. Um, and you can DM me or email us as well at here's the thing, though, podcast at gmail.com. And if you do email us, please include your name and pronouns and any other important relevant info. Cool. Well, thank you. Bye. Bye.